Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 13 of Run This World. I have a really cool guest today. Her name is Trisha Downing. And I remember meeting Trisha like after not too long ago, maybe in the last decade. <laughs> Shows how old I am. It's not too long ago as a wheelchair athlete after she'd already had the accident that we're going to get into in the podcast today. But it's funny because she reminded me after we connected again that I actually met her in 1997, almost 20 years ago, um, a few years before her accident when she was an aspiring competitive cyclist. And it's a funny story that we didn't don't go into in the podcast, so I thought it would be fun to tell you. But apparently, a mutual friend of ours, um, I think it was a woman named B.J. Bedford, an Olympic-level swimmer. See, she had organized a dinner where she was trying to set Trisha up with Tony DeBoom, my brother-in-law. So they were sort of like being set up, and we had dinner at a friend's house, and apparently I met her then, and... You know, also apparently she and Tony did not hit it off or me and Trisha may have the same last name today. So anyway, Trisha is a really, really cool woman. She has overcome huge adversity in her life. In 2001, she was hit head on on a bike ride and paralyzed from the chest down and uh, had to undergo recovery and wrapping her head around how she was going to live in, in a body that she didn't recognize even as her own. And all of the, the things that many of us could never even relate to in our lives. And as she says in the podcast, at some point, a lot of people consider her and what she's gone through the worst case scenario that they would ever possibly encounter in their world. And What's really cool and what I hope you find from this episode is that it can always be worse and it can always be better. And it's all about our attitude and how we choose to push ourselves through certain times and what we dig deep into to get there. With that, I'm not going to go too much further. Just make sure that you check out the show notes because Trisha is doing so many cool things, including writing books. She's the founder of a nonprofit called Camp Discovery, or that's the program they put on. It's a camp for women wheelchair athletes. She's also doing a video series called She's Got Grit, which I participated in with her. And uh, she's just plain plain old, very cool person doing great things in this world. So with that, I'm going to welcome her onto the show. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome everyone to episode 13 of Run This World with my special guest, Trisha Downing, who I call Trish, so don't get confused. It's so great to have you on the show, Trish. 
Thanks, Nicole. I'm very excited to talk to you today. I know. We've actually had a hell of a time connecting because you are a super busy woman. As are you. I know. Normally when people live nearby, I like to do these in person and we tried a couple times and man. So, uh, so what are you working on right now that's keeping you so busy? Well, the main project that I'm working on is I've just launched a nonprofit organization that I'm super excited about. It's called The Cycle of Hope. And it's um, something I've actually been doing for seven years already, which is a uh, retreat for female wheelchair users, um, similar to myself. And we do sports and recreation activities and then all kinds of, you know, conglomerate of mind, body, and spirit type kinds of things to help these women discover their inner strength and really reinvent their lives. Okay, I totally understand the uh, starting a nonprofit thing because I did the same this year with Running Start, and it's it's not a small task. I mean, there's a lot of a fundamental thinking you have to do, but then there's all kinds of logistics. Yes, and actually, it's you know one of the things that's been easier for me is that we've been doing what is what's called Camp Discovery. We've been doing Camp Discovery for seven years now, so the programming itself is actually already all in line and very well established. But doing the the logistical part of starting a nonprofit and putting together a board and trying to figure out what everybody needs to do and how they can help and how we can raise money and um, really grow our budget as well as grow our programming, that's where it gets difficult and, and time consuming. So, okay, many of our listeners don't know you, don't know your story, haven't read your book yet. Let's tell them a little bit about why this um, community that you're serving is so important to you. Well, in 2000, I was a competitive cyclist. And um, at the end of the season, I was out just on a real easy training ride with a friend of mine. And when we were returning back to my house, I was hit head on by a car and sort of launched into the air and landed on top of the car's windshield. And then I fell to the ground And when I fell to the ground, I couldn't feel my legs. And so I knew in that moment that it was really bad. But, you know, you always think, you know, I'm sure when I get to the hospital, they're going to put me back together again. And I figured I'd miss a couple of days of work and be good. Um, But that's not what happened. I was actually paralyzed from the chest down. And I spent four months in the hospital. And then when I came out of rehab, um, I had to get accustomed to life in a wheelchair For me, it was, um, well, it's a long and difficult process for anyone. Um, I did have the good fortune of having worked with athletes uh, who had disabilities uh, prior to my accident. So I had a really good idea of what I was, you know, capable of and what was possible in my future. And I really did jump right back into sports. Um, But as I was doing that, and I was trying to learn these different sports, I realized that all the people around me were men. And while that's fine, you know, I was, you know, I I could make friends easily with the guys. And, you know, I grew up with four brothers, so that wasn't really a problem. But, you know, sometimes when you want to talk about some of the more personal issues of being a female, and um, especially when becoming a paraplegic makes so many different changes to your body that, um, you know, you want to be able to talk to somebody that you can really open up to. And I found that I just had, I didn't have the support of other women around me who were wheelchair users. And I actually just uh, looked up a statistic from the National 
Spinal Cord Research Foundation, or I can't remember exactly the name, but about 80% of people sustaining spinal cord injuries are men. So um, it was really hard to find other women who I could connect with and learn to do sports with and just be able to talk to. So after uh, you know nine years of living in a chair and getting back to sports, becoming an elite triathlete, I decided that I wanted to reach out and find out where all these other women were. And so I started uh, Camp Discovery, which is a two and a half day retreat for women. Like I said before, just to learn different recreational activities in an unintimidating environment and to be able to build a support system. So amazing. I mean, you can't understand until you go through something life changing like that, but your identity changed that day. But it didn't, you didn't change who you were, but you had to change the way you were perceived in the world. Definitely. And, and I well, I, I was going to say, you know, parts of my identity changed and, but I, I, I thought a lot more changed than it did. I was, I was really able to come back and find myself and find out who I was, but you're right. You know, it's, there's also that perception of who other people think you are and you kind of have to, you know, change that too. So what, what would you say are some of the most important things that allowed you to come through in a positive way, whereas some people never recover mentally and emotionally? For me, I've really boiled it down to three things. It was the people in my life, um, because I had an amazing support system between my family and my friends. You know, they were there from the very beginning in my hospital room, you know, what seemed like 24 hours a day. And, you know, they were there for everything from the rehab and learning how to live life in a wheelchair to having my former um, cycling teammates going out on bike rides with me when I would ride a hand cycle at six miles an hour and they'd be riding alongside me, you know, just trying to hold their bikes up straight, going that slowly. Um, And so, you know, the people were really important to me, but also, you know, having my passion for sports it really gave me something to go back to that gave absolute meaning to my life. You know, I've been an athlete since I was four years old. And so, you know, I mean, that truly was my identity and I, and I needed to get back to some semblance of that. And I was, you know, I'm fortunate to be able to have full use of my hands and my arms and be able to ride a hand cycle or push a, a racing wheelchair or swim or, or anything like that. So, you know, my passion really helped me get back to life. And the third thing that helped was having a purpose. And that meant, you know, being able to return to work, um, being able to feel, you know, necessary at my job and in my community. And so really those three things I really think is what it boils down to when it coming back to a life altering, you know, injury where, you know, your perception of who you are and your identity has changed. Um, you know, all those things kind of bring you back into your, you know, normal or new normal world. You know, I actually am not sure if you can just have one or two of those, like those three points, people, passion, and purpose, they do really work together. I was thinking about the purpose part, like that's a lot of times where people fall into the depths of despair. I mean, especially like many people can relate to this when your career changes. Right. And you wake up and suddenly you don't have a job and you don't know what you're going to do all day. It's that kind of having a purpose when you wake up in the morning that you know what you're going to do can keep you going. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, like I, I use these three things in, 
in, in telling people how I came back from my accident. But I really think those are like the three building blocks, just period of anybody's life to really be able to, you know, feel good about yourself and get the most out of what you're doing and, and that type of thing. And that's, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, Camp Discovery was born is to help women who might be struggling with, you know, one or two or three of those things. And, and, you know, right there at camp, we build a support system. So right there, you know, no matter what these ladies have back at home, they're building a support system with other women who have experienced disability, who have experienced the same types of things that they have. And, you know, they're building that, that system of, of having people in their lives. And then when we're teaching them these new recreational activities, we're hoping that they, you know, grasp onto a passion something that they will take back and do at home, whether it's by themselves or with their husbands or kids or friends or, you know, whomever it might be. And then one of the reasons we started the cycle of hope is to sort of add into um, add the purpose part in there. And so we will going forward, start talking a lot more about how you can become involved in your community, whether it's, you know, getting a job and, and being able to contribute that way or maybe it's some volunteer work or, you know, whatever it is that might be able to help these women really discover their purpose. Um, some of mm-hmm. them, you know, are living on disability and they don't feel like they can work. And and that's totally understandable. But, you know, that does, you know, some of them, they don't feel like they have that purpose. And it doesn't have to be a job. It can be so many different things and you can contribute to the world around you in so many different ways. It doesn't have to be going to work. It doesn't have to be getting a paycheck, but it might be, you know, volunteering or peer counseling, listening to somebody else who's got the same type of problems and situations. Um, you know, that you can do with just a phone call and, you know, we can do so many amazing things over the computer, you know, just like we're doing this podcast that it's, it, you know, it's just the, the world is wide open today. It doesn't matter what your abilities or so-called disabilities are you know, their options are, the options are endless. It's true. The world is wide open. I'm using that quote. Um, (laughs) So, okay. So say, uh, what if someone listening wants to get involved with Camp Discovery or knows someone who should actually be one of the, you know, registrants this year? How, how do we find it? Well, we're just getting up and running. Our website eventually will be thecycleofhope.org. But in the meantime, we are on Facebook as Camp Discovery CO. Also, um, my website is a great way to get in touch with me, and that is trishadowning.com. So that's T-R-I-C-I-A-D-O-W-N-I-N-G.com. So that's really the best way right now as we um, get our website up and running. We are very new in terms of we've just gotten our IRS uh designation as a 501c3 and so we're putting together the groundwork and and starting to build but it's going to be a quick build because our first camp will be in October of this year. And where are you going to host it? Our camp is hosted at the Easter Seals camp in Colorado. It's in Empire which is about 40 minutes west of Denver off of I-70 and it's a very nice facility that is meant for um, accessibility and they've got a rock climbing wall and zip lining and tennis and swimming. And then we always throw in some extra activities that we usually do in the Denver area. 
Um, we've done everything from sled hockey, which is ice hockey for those who are wheelchair users, to kart racing, golf, scuba diving, you name it. We have, we've done it. I just love that, you know, sports has been such a huge part of your, let's say, lifeline through this part of your life. You went into the accident one kind of athlete and you came out of it an even more accomplished athlete, which is like phenomenal and shows your range of skill and versatility. I've been thinking about that a lot because I know you're competitive. You were competitive going in and you're even more competitive now. But what's really cool to me, and I'd love for you to share a little bit about how sports got you through this and what, you know, what you're exploring now athletically and how you're pushing your body in different ways. Um, Well, you know, one of the things that my doctor told me while I was in the hospital was that I'd have an easier time getting through this injury because of the fact that I was an athlete. And I, I really think that, you know, part of getting through this, the spinal cord injury and, and the rehab that's so difficult and so hard on you physically, mentally, and emotionally is really that, you know, kind of competitive drive that you're not going to let anything beat you. You know, I had that completely, you know, as a competitive athlete my whole life. So, you know, that really helped me you know, have direction and the motivation and just really the ability to get through this. So um, I've now, you know, I, I came out of the hospital and six months later, I did my first half marathon. And I really didn't stop after that. I started doing triathlons and then Ironman triathlons. Um, but I, I had some injuries in 2011. So um, you know, I've had a little bit of a break in activity, but I'm now back and and on my bike and, and starting to race as a competitive cyclist. It's so cool. So are you traveling around the world? Um, I am going to start traveling around the world, or at least to Spain this summer. I'm going to compete in a World Cup competition for cycling. So I'm really excited about doing that. That will be my first international event as a hand cyclist. I have competed internationally in triathlon, duathlon, rowing, and shooting, but this will be my first time as a hand cyclist. Wow. I didn't realize that. That is so cool. So this actually is a really kind of a good segue because this summer we did a cool project actually last summer called She's Got Grit. And this is, maybe you can explain a little bit about what the project is, but the reason it's a good segue is that my involvement in it dictated that I ride a hand cycle for a sprint triathlon for the cycling leg of a sprint triathlon. And it was an incredible experience to see what, how much effort you've got to put in compared to, you know, being on a a standard bike. And, you know, in my case, I had ab muscles to help me kind of cheat my way through it. And you don't even have the ability to do that. So it was a a really cool, cool thing for me to experience. I don't know. I just thought maybe this is a good time to talk a little bit about that project and and what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, that um, triathlon was really fun. So She's Got Grit was was born of an idea of a woman who's a producer and director. She lives uh, in the Washington, D.C. area. Her name is Dara. And she wanted to put together a show that highlighted elite female athletes who had disabilities. And so we were connected through a mutual friend. And, um, you know, from the beginning, we just kind of hit it off. And we were really good at 
you know, collaborating because she had the know-how of, of, of television and, and shooting video and storytelling. And I had the, the connections and the understanding of athletics for people with disabilities. And so we just kind of brought that together, all of our um, backgrounds, and we started producing these shows. And we invited you, Nicole, as our co-host because we wanted to have an able-bodied view. And that's, I guess that's the term that we use, um, disabled versus able-bodied, although we could debate about that um, all day. Um, because everybody has abilities. But anyway, for the, the purpose of this conversation, we'll call you the able-bodied uh, co-host. And we, so we wanted to be able to have, you know, two views of the same thing, because both you and I um, are athletes, and we've both competed at the elite level. And, you know, in that part, we're, we're very similar, you know, we're completely alike in just being athletes. It's not, you know, you're an able-bodied athlete and I'm an, an athlete with a disability. And so it's two different things. You know, we're both athletes. We both train. We both, you know, work really hard. We both are very competitive. We both want to win and we both, you know, want to compete at the highest level. And so, you know, this was a, a chance to explore that further and get your viewpoint on it and my viewpoint on it and realize that we were actually talking about the very same thing. It's just that I do my sports in a different way than you do. And while you would normally ride a bicycle, I would ride a hand cycle. But that doesn't mean that, you know, I don't train my butt off just as much as you do and, you know, that I can't race, you know, just as competitively. So um, I think it's been a really exciting project. Our videos are all live at she's got grit.com. And um, the next big project, which we're really excited about, is the Super Trials, which are the Paralympic trials for swimming, cycling, and track and field, will be held in Charlotte, North Carolina at the end of this month. And we are going to go do a handful of stories at the trials as these athletes are making the Paralympic Games teams. I just love it. I mean, the, in the end, it's all about inspiring people to keep moving their lives forward. Exactly. And you're there, doing that. There's so many so people many that you know, feel like they can't do something because, you know, whatever is going on with their body. And, you know, it really just takes looking at it and maybe doing something in a different way. I recently loaned out one of my hand cycles to a gentleman who um, was a big runner, and then he was um, diagnosed with MS. And so he wasn't able to run the half marathons and marathons anymore. And so I loaned him a hand cycle so that he could do those races in the, the bike that I use or the kind of bike that I use. And, you know, he just sent me a Facebook message today. He said he's addicted to hand cycling and I'm the one to blame. So, you know, it's, it's true that even though he's got to do it a little bit differently, you know, he's still finding the same joy and same excitement by doing it on a hand cycle. Gosh, you know, um, I wondered if how it makes you feel though, when like, is it a good thing when people see you on a hand cycle and they go by you and they're like, you can do this. You're amazing. Or how does that make you feel? Is it a good thing or is it sort of a, of course I can do this kind of feeling. Yeah, I don't know. It's funny. I, a lot of it depends on my mood and, and, and what I'm, what I'm doing because sometimes, you know, when I'm climbing and, you know, on a hill during an event and people go by me and, and say things like that, you know, I'm like, I, I am doing it. Like, of course I can. I am like, I'm climbing up this hill. It's slower than you can climb, but you know, I am doing it. 
And, you know, so sometimes I get mad and sometimes I need the encouragement. So it, it kind of depends on my mood, which is, I don't know that that's a really a good thing. But I do enjoy, um, like yesterday I did the Elephant Rock, which is a local ride in Colorado. And I, I did the 40 mile ride and it's, it's a very challenging hilly ride. And it was just, it was so great to be out there. And, you know, the people going by me, I, I think they could see, you know, just as much determination in what I was doing as what they were doing. And so there was a mutual appreciation of, you know, we're all out here just trying to push our bodies and get to the finish. And whether you're on a hand cycle or a bicycle, it doesn't matter. You know, you're out there, you're being healthy, you're being fit. And it's just a wonderful way to live. So you're saying if the people listening see you out there, they should test your mood first before they call out for you. (laughs) They should say, are you in a good mood or are you in a bad mood today? (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, relationships and, you know, people are very, very important to you. And one thing I recall, so I read your book, Cycle of Hope, and I loved it. And it was at times I was crying. Um, it was very close to home because I could relate to you so much as an athlete. And I've had many close calls on my bike as many as you probably did prior to your accident and other people listening have as well. And life can change in a heartbeat and it doesn't necessarily mean it's a worse life. It's a different life. That's all it is. One of the things that also, uh, you know, kind of grabbed me was relationships you know, you were riding, you were on a ride with a guy and you talk about this in the book a lot. So I'm not worried about bringing it up. And you know, that was a relationship. That was sort of a, a boyfriend of sorts or whatever. And after the accident, that relationship dissolved. And like, how has the, your, I don't know, you're married now. So I think it's a really interesting conversation just to have about how relationships change after an accident like this and how you found your way and how you came, how you found, how you met your husband. Well, definitely relationships change. I mean, the friend, um, that I was with, uh, when I was on the bike, we were sort of, we had a whirlwind summer romance and it was, it was, it was on its (laughs) way out (laughs) into the fall and, and about to be over. But you know, that, so that relationship just wasn't really very strong, like strong enough to survive something like this. And I think, you know, that was kind of where that fell apart. Um, but even within my own friendships, I had some friends who were, you know, solidly by my side, you know, no matter what, they didn't see me any differently. They didn't, you know, they weren't feeling sorry for me. They, they wanted to help me get better and get back on my feet so to say. Um, and then there, you know, there were some friendships that didn't survive my accident. You know, my friend who I was with earlier in the day, um, the day of the accident, we were driving back to Denver from Grand Junction. There was a group of us, um, that had gone to a wine festival for the weekend and we were in two different cars in my car. I had, uh, Matt who was with me during the accident and my friend, Paul, and then in the other car was Melanie and her boyfriend. And she, we were all going to meet up afterwards. It was a Sunday. We were all going to meet up afterwards and watch football at, uh, you know, one of the local bars. And on the way home, Melanie called me on the cell phone and she decided that they were just going to go home. They were going to skip the bars and skip the football and all of that. And so that's when um, Matt and I went back to my house and decided to go on a ride. And so, um, you know, Melanie, I think, 
was really shook up by the accident. And, you know, she only came to see me twice in the hospital. And we never talked again once I got out of the hospital. And, you know, when she did come in to see me, she just said, you know, this is really depressing. I can't believe it's happened. I, you know, basically, I can't look at you being like this. And, um, you know, it was really unfortunate that that was a friendship that just didn't last um, through my injury. But you really, you know, you do find out the people who, you know, want to stand by your side and who are willing to help. And even people came out of the woodwork to say, you know, I'm, I'm with you and whatever I can do to help you, I'm willing to do. But, you know, this type of an injury and this traumatic kind of situation, it hits everybody in a different way. And so, you know, that was hard for me at first to know that I would lose some friends just because, you know, I was going to be a little bit different, you know, in my body and I was going to use a wheelchair for mobility and, and all of that. And, and that was difficult, but I had enough people who were on my side and, you know, didn't care how I was going to be, you know, they wanted to be there for me. And so that really helped me get through it. You know, I mean, dating is a whole different story <laughs> there. You know, in the beginning I was, well, actually in the very beginning, I, I kind of met a new guy and we dated for a while. And then once we broke up, I, I was a little bit insecure when I first got out of the hospital and, and was looking to date. But I knew that, you know, if I did the activities that I like to do, if I did the sports that I like to do, that I would meet somebody you know, who did those activities also and, and didn't see me any differently. And that's how I met my husband was through cycling. And, you know, he, he has been around athletes who are Paralympians. He's, you know, worked with different um, athletes with disabilities. And, you know, it didn't phase him at all that I was in a wheelchair. So, you know, we've, we've gotten along great ever since the very beginning. You know, it's, uh, it's really interesting. I love this idea that these days people talk a lot about how it's very hard to meet people, whether they're friends or more than friends. And it's a great philosophy for anyone. Just keep doing the things you love to do. And if you do, you'll find other people who are doing them as well. And it's so simple. Yeah. It's so it simple. really is very simple. And, and that's where you want to find people because that's where you're going to find somebody who has, you know, a lot in common with you. If you meet somebody at a bar, who knows what they do, you know, in their free time. I mean, I guess if you hang out at bars all the time, then you have met somebody who has something in common with you. But, you know, I mean, I prefer to have somebody who, you know, who likes to do sports, who wants to be active, who wants to be outdoors, you know, who wants to be physically fit. And, you know, I found that through through my activities. And, and that was really, really wonderful. You know, I can also really relate to this idea that some friendships are made for certain parts of your life and some friendships are not. There's, there's been a couple big, big things in my life where there's been transitions and some friends just don't really, you know, stay in your life afterward. The first was actually when I stopped drinking. And when I stopped drinking, there's a lot of friends involved in that life who I don't know what it is, but maybe it makes them feel guilty or weird about themselves that you're not yeah. drinking. So they take it personally. Um, but also when I had a baby, a lot of friends couldn't relate to or or have a patience for, um, you know, an infant and a toddler. And I totally understand that because I think I've been, done the same thing to people who had babies. Like they kind of fall off the face and they develop their own community. Yeah, and life, you know, life changes at, at different points. You know, you, you have different interests or different priorities. I mean, at one time, 
you know, you're, you were a professional triathlete and now you're a mom and a businesswoman. So, you know, hanging out with people who only race and only train, that probably doesn't work anymore, you know, and it's, it's the same, it's the same with me, you know, I mean, there are certain things that, you know, are harder for me to do. I mean, I can't just go out for a hike one day, although I kind of can in this cool new um, wheelchair I just got. But, you know, so there are some things that I can't do just quite as easily as I did before. And so, you know, those friends that I did other activities with, I might not see as much, but I'm still doing the things that make me me. And, and that's, you know, my, my sports, my um, nonprofit, you know, just all of these different activities. And I've, I've created a wonderful group of friends. And I don't, I really don't feel like, I skipped a beat just because, you know, I had this accident and, and my life changed. So tell me about this wheelchair. How so is it this different? wheelchair is called the grit freedom chair. And it actually, you use your, uh, it's like a, oh gosh, it's hard to say. Like it's a lever system, I guess, um, that you use. So it looks a little bit like you're rowing instead of pushing the wheels of a wheelchair, you're pushing these levers and it's more like rowing. Um, but it's got three wheels, so it looks like a regular wheelchair with one wheel out front. And you can use it um, off-road. You can use it on the beach. You can use it, you know, in your backyard. Places that are harder for a regular wheelchair to go, um, you can use this Freedom Chair. And it was developed by a group of students at MIT. And it's just coming out now um, into production. So, you know, anybody could actually buy one. But I have been given one to kind of test out and give feedback to the company and to let other people use it and check it out. And so I'm really excited to come out this weekend um, to race um, the 5K on, on this Grit Freedom Chair. Oh, my gosh. I know. And this is going to air after you already did it. So we'll have some awesome photos to post. <laughs> You know, okay, here's kind of a big one. So where do you see yourself in 20 years? I like to think that I will have made a huge impact with my new nonprofit um, because I, I think that, you know, there are more and more women who are, you know, being active in um, wheelchairs um, and who are looking for this type of thing. And I, I feel like this is my own little niche where I can you know, kind of contribute to the world and, and help make some changes or help make some people feel better. So I'd really like to see this organization growing. I would like to think I can still be physically active um, no matter how old I am. I used to, um, as a bike racer, I went to Masters Nationals actually just a couple of months before my accident. And I was so taken by the men and women in the you know, 70 and 80 year old categories going up to get their medals around their necks after having done, you know, time trials and road races. And I thought, wow, I really want to be like that. You know, I just, I love that commitment to athletics and to being fit and, and that type of thing. So, you know, those are some things that I'd like to keep going with, but I also am really um, interested in writing and I wrote my memoir in, um, it came out in 2010 and I'm actually writing the second edition right now. I hope um, it will be published by the end of this year. And um, I've written a fiction novel, which I hope will be published in the next year or two. And so, um, you know, being an author is something else that's really important to me. And I hope to be able to put out as many books as I can <laughs> over the next 20 years. 
Do you, um, what do you think people are getting out of your books? Uh, well, out of my memoir, for sure, I think they're getting a lot of encouragement and seeing that, you know, bad things happen and they can happen in the blink of an eye. Um, but as human beings, I think we are really resilient. A lot of times when I'm out doing my motivational speaking, people will come up to me and they'll say things like, oh, wow, I thought my life was bad and then I met you. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think... I think that's supposed to be a compliment, but you know, it, 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 you, you know, I, I am the worst case scenario for a lot of people. I mean, there are a lot of people who think that, you know, being paralyzed and being in a wheelchair is like the worst thing that could ever happen to you. And, you know, I like to think that I can share with them and educate them that just because you have a disability, it doesn't mean that you can't do the things that you want to do. And, you know, you just have to find different ways to do them. And, um, you know, I think that can be the same with any type of, you know, illness or injury or change that we run up against. And so I, I want to be able to give people hope. I want to be able to share with them, you know, what's important in life. I mean, you know, I used to stand five foot, you know, 10 and a half inches and, you know, it was all leg. And, and that was really, you know, important to me the way I looked and I wanted to, you know, be pretty and wear these short skirts and do all these different things. And, you know, when my body changed, that was hard. It was hard for me to realize that, you know, I was still the same person. I still had all these great things about me and, you know, appearances, that's, that's not the most important thing in the world, you know? And so I just want to share with people that it's possible to get through these things and, and deal with the changes in life and still feel good about yourself, you know, and still be able to find what is really important and, and that part of you that really shines out to the world. I mean, I, I really don't think that anybody cares about five foot, 10 inch legs anymore. You know, I, what's important is, are the, you know, the impacts that I can make in people's lives through, you know, my nonprofit or, or through speaking or through writing. You know, I actually think there's a, there's an important topic in here too, which is a lot of people take on the victim role really easily. And especially when something happens to them that they couldn't control, and then they embrace that and develop and and really like own that victim role. And you didn't do that. Maybe you did in the beginning. I'm not sure. But how, what advice do you have for someone who goes through something that is completely out of their control, changes their life? How do they how do they not get sucked into the victim mentality? It can be hard. I mean, I don't think I really did, um, you know, fall into that victim role after my accident. But in 2011, I went through a series of surgeries that were, you know, partly related to sports injuries, partly related to my spinal cord injury, and and partly related to just each surgery making me almost worse instead of better. And so I developed chronic pain and that um, was really difficult. And there were days that I kind of was that victim. I would lie in bed and feel sorry for myself. And um, one day I just decided, you know, there are some things that I just can't control and I need to stop worrying about them. But there are a lot of things that I can control. And there are a lot of things that I can do. Even, you know, even lying in bed, I started writing. I started being able to blog. I started, you know, working on some of my books and I'm thinking, okay, you know, I can't get out and ride a bike today, but maybe I can write a chapter of my book, you know? So I think it's important to realize that, you know, I don't think life ever goes 
completely out of your control. It might feel like it, but it's, it's never totally out of your control. There are things that you can do and decisions you can make. And if nothing else, you can control your attitude and the way that you look at your situation. And there have been a lot of things, you know, like my accident, you know, seemed horrible and my life, you know, had all those changes. But in the end, it's had some really amazing changes, like for the better. You know, I, I never would have reached the level of athletics in, as an able-bodied athlete that I have in, in wheelchair athletics. I've been able to travel the world and, you know, do all of these amazing things that I wouldn't have done. And so, you know, it's, it's not been all bad. I can, I can pick out the, the great things that have happened. So, you know, that's what's important. And, oh, the best way to get out of that victim mentality is to, you know, find out what you're in control of and, and fi- you know, figure out the good things. You know, make a list of the good things that have, that have come of it or that could come of it. You know, so I, I just think that there are ways to get around it. But you have to have an open mind. You, you definitely, you know, that's something that you just have to find within you. Wow. And have you as a role model is huge for so many people, no matter what they're going through. Well, we are coming up to the end of our 5K here, a little bit over actually. So I like to leave our listeners with one piece of advice, one little nugget that you can give them that will help them run their world in a bigger and better way. What would that be? I would say to run your world your way is to turn your passion into good. One of the best ways to feel better about yourself, whether it's, you know, because you're feeling down and things aren't going well, or, you know, if you just, you know, want to contribute something to the world, um, is to help somebody else. And I've, I've found that, you know, even when I'm feeling down or, you know, depressed or things aren't going right, if I can help somebody else right there, that changes how I feel about myself and how I feel about um, life. And, and so I think it's just really important to be able to take the things, the gifts that you've been given and to turn around and share them with other people. That's the fastest way to make yourself feel good and to also contribute to the community, the world, you know, or just one person that's in your circle. So I think, I think that would be my best advice for running your world. Oh, I love it. Help somebody else. Well, Trish, this has been such a treat. You are definitely turning your passion into good. And I will direct everybody to the show notes, to your website, you know, share how to get involved in all the things you're doing. And as soon as you get that second uh, edition of your memoir out, you let us know because we're going to be on Absolutely, top of it. Absolutely, I will. Thank you so much for having me. Great. All right. Well, we will see you out and about. And uh, thanks for running this world Thank with you. Me. Wow. That was a really cool episode. Lots of great insight from a very special woman. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Trisha Downing. You can reach out to her in so many ways. If you want to connect with her, the first and easiest way to do it is through her website, trishadowning.com. You can also, and I encourage you, if you want a little inspiration, to buy her book, which you can again find through her website, I put a link to Amazon on there. Um, she's it's, it's a really great read that I think many of you will get insight from. And uh, if you have anyone or want to support her nonprofit, Cycle of Hope, and the uh, camp discovery that they put on, 
make sure you go to her Camp Discovery website, which is also posted in the show notes on NicoleDeBoom.com. So everybody, we've got some new fuel to go out there and run our worlds with. Um, Open your mind, open your body, open your heart. And remember about those three P's that she talked about, people, passion, and purpose. When you can put all those three things together, you can do just about anything. All right, folks, you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout and we'll see you next week.